On this edition of the Deseret News Youth Insiders podcast, we talk about Kyle Whittingham's new contract, discuss spring football, look at the basketball teams, and visit with Steve Pine about the NCAA tournament coming to Salt Lake. That and more on the Deseret News Youth Insiders podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. Just a reminder for all the latest on the Utes, go to DeseretNews.com. Dirk Facer here in our Swank Salt Lake City studios. I'm the Utah Beat Writer for the newspaper, and I'm joined by my colleagues Trent Wood and Brad Rock, the Rock Monster. And we're glad to talk some Utes with you this week. Let's jump right out with football, guys. Before the Utes even took the field for spring football, Kyle Whittingham got a contract extension through 2023. Brad, good move by the Utes? Absolutely good move. I mean, Kyle Whittingham hasn't won a championship yet, but they took that step last fall, uh, getting the Pac-12 championship game. And, uh, you know, he will always be competitive with his teams. He's never going to embarrass them. Uh, I don't know about the next level, but he made that step that, that he's never been able to get to. You know, it was a priority for Mark Harlan, it said at least in the press release, that he wanted to get this done. Uh, Trent, you're a little younger than us. Uh, they also mentioned this would be good for recruiting and it would be good for players to know that the coaches that are recruiting him will be the guys that are coaching him on the field. Do you buy that uh argument? Yeah, I mean, most recruiting now is all about coaches. It's less about schools, and people don't go to their dream schools as much. They go where the coaches that they like are, and he's going to be there for a long time, so they know that if they go, they're at least going to be coached by Kyle. Does that mean, uh, guys, that they need to roll this contract over every year now? Because, you know, a five-year deal now is pretty much the life of a of college athlete, you know, if you count a, a redshirt year or whatever they do with red shirts now. But is this going to need to roll every year so that the next generation doesn't say, oh, he only has four years left or only has three years left? Or, what do you guys think? It feels like that. It feels like it's more beneficial to your program if you have a coach who has a large extension and you keep adding to it because then there's a stability. Yeah, the only thing you wonder is, you know, what would they have done with uh, Joe Paterno when he got into into his 80s? I know that was a huge deal. Is hey, how, how do you roll this over? It was before all of that scandal and people wondered, what are they going to do about rolling it over? So do you get to a certain age and you start saying, well, is he going to be here anyway uh, because he's going to retire at some point, then uh, then I think it's kind of academic. I think Coach Witt's 59 years old now, turned 60 this year. And that Do you guys think this is his last job? Yeah, I can't see him coaching anywhere but Utah. It's just it's what he is. Yeah, I think it's his final job, but I think it could go on indefinitely. I mean, they, they get that. Dennis Erickson is back coaching again. I just think that uh, they love this stuff, and once they get their groove and if they, they like their staff, I, I don't know if we'd put a, a, a five-year limit on Coach Witt, right. uh, but I think I think Trent is right. He's here for good. Yeah, and you put the five years on, like you said, and he's not going to be that old. And I, it's easy for me to say because I'm getting to be that old. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think he can be around. Trent, do you, uh, from a younger guy's perspective, do kids want to play for a proven winner and a guy who's been around for a long time, or are they more excited to play for maybe a young up-and-coming coach? I feel like with college football especially, kids want to win. That's why Alabama recruits so well is because people know they go there and they're going to win. And so with Kyle Whittingham, people know they're going to win. They might not know that they're going to win championships, but they know that they're going to win. Whereas if you were to replace him, nobody knows what Utah football would be without Kyle Whittingham. He's been there so long and has been part of every growth that it has that I don't know if bringing in an up-and-coming coach would change recruiting in a positive way. 
Well, he's going to leave an indelible mark on the program. He's 22 wins away from surpassing the great Ike Armstrong, who I don't know any of us uh, obviously don't know him other than the fact that we've heard stories about him, and he's the guy that set the bar at Utah football. Talk to Coach Wade about this, and you know he kind of downplays the significance of it, but it's a big deal, don't you think, to be able to, when you retire, say I was the winningest coach in University of Utah history? That's a big deal. Yeah, I think it matters to him. I think it'd be funny when that happens because we'll go up to the players and we'll say, what about that mark, Ike Armstrong? Armstrong, and they'll go, oh, yeah, fantastic. And I never heard the guy's name until you asked that question. But Witt knows who he is. I think it. I, I think it's, that's how coaches do. They set goals for themselves. They may not tell everybody about it, but that, that's what they do. That's how they stay motivated. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, at the football meetings a year or two ago, I took a picture of Ike Armstrong with me, and I asked some of the coaches in the Pac-12 who was tougher. Because if you've seen pictures of Ike, Strong, Ike Armstrong, I mean, he kind of looks like Ronald Reagan, but he kind of looks like a mean cuss, too. You know? like he, was, he didn't take a lot of guff from people, but uh, it's kind of interesting because Kyle Whittingham is kind of a no-nonsense guy, and it's kind of interesting maybe that the, the two winningest coaches in University of Utah history are tough guys. Yeah, Urban Meyer was a no-nonsense guy, too. I don't know if you'd put him in. The, I don't You know, he never really hit me with the with the same mode of guy, like you said, Ike Armstrong and and Witt, but uh, but those that played uh, with him said he was he was pretty serious, too, but I, I like the, the tie-in, Dirk. I, I think it's good. Trent, what do you think, if you're looking at uh, Kyle Whittingham's resume, what stands out? Is it the Sugar Bowl? I almost think it's the consistency more than any wins. Okay. I think it's that they haven't been bad. They had the two not great years when they got to the Pac-12, but other than that, they've been consistent, which is really hard to do in college football. There's not a lot of programs that are consistently good to great. really is. And yeah, uh, Brad, you and I were around, obviously, the Fiesta Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Those are two special seasons in this community, obviously. Do you think back to that as, as Witt's crowning achievement, the winning the Sugar Bowl and going undefeated and voting the Utes number one in the nation? finishing number two in the AP poll, things like that. Yeah, I think the Sugar Bowl had to be it. But, you know, I think, Dirk, that one thing that, um, you know, this is kind of along with Trent, but for him to make that transition to the Pac-12 and not just get embarrassed for a few years, you know, they had a couple of five and seven seasons, but I think that's phenomenal that he that, that he was able to take this in and go in with these Mountain West players. And uh, the first year, because of some crazy circumstances, almost had a shot to, to win the South Division. But uh, I think that's something we probably, uh, we kind of forget about, that he was able to maintain a, a very high level with players, probably the, the probably the lowest level of talent and depth in the conference when they came in. Yeah, you know, that was one thing I remember when, you know, the transition was made, Chris Hill and almost every coach said it, it was wasn't just a leap from one side to the other. It was like jumping the, over the Grand Canyon, you know, going from the Mountain West to the Pac-12. And, you know, it took a long time for anybody to win a championship. I mean, even the gymnastics team, it took a while. But, uh, you know, it's ironic that baseball was the team that broke through and won the <laughs> first title of, of all the teams. Nirk, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, like, we've talked about this with uh, my friend from the uh, Arizona Star in Tucson. I mean, when Utah came in, I remember I'm going, yeah, Utah can play in this conference. I think, you know, they play real well out of conference. And, and this guy from the Arizona Star said, hey, uh, you know, the Wildcats have been in the conference over 30 years and haven't been to the Rose Bowl. Right. Uh, and and so he said, hey, Brad, it's not going to happen quite the way, uh, way you think it might. Well, let's jump into spring football, guys, talking about uh, maybe expectations. You know, the Utes, after last year, a lot of the preseason early, early uh, predictions have Utah maybe going to the Rose Bowl this year. Uh, do you guys buy that? I do. I, I, You know, I can't predict they're going to the Rose Bowl, but I think there's, there's a possibility they could. Other teams are... are you know, USC is just sort of, uh, you know, in turmoil all the time. Washington lost some key players. And Utah, in spite of the guys that they did leave, which was a small but really significant group,
group, they have a lot back, and their depth is the best they've ever had as a program. And so I think um, if they play, they play well, they've got a shot at it. What do you think, Trent? Do people need to pump the brakes a little bit? Because that senior class they lost, they lost some very significant pieces. And, you know, even uh, besides the position players, look at the specialists. They yeah. lost two All-Americans there. And, that, I mean, these losses are huge. And coaches as well, which we like to gloss over, but they lost some really good coaches. Um, but when you look at the Pac-12 South, I feel like they have to be the favorites. I think that's the thing that makes me think they at least can get back to the conference championship game. Because like Brad said, USC, nobody knows what they are. UCLA was so bad in Chip Kelly's first year. Yeah, they're going to improve, but enough that they can be better than Utah, I don't know. And Arizona and Arizona State, I don't know if anybody ever believes that they're the best team in the division. So it just feels like Utah, with the players they have, should be the favorite to win the South. Right. And that'll be interesting. You know, and funny, they can't get past Arizona State for whatever reason. They always have trouble. Do you guys think that Herm Edwards is is building something there? Obviously, recruiting-wise, they took a quarterback that Utah wanted and got him away, and he seemed to have a good recruiting year, But and they beat the Utes pretty soundly on the field, but obviously they didn't get enough wins to get it done. Do you buy Arizona State as a contender? I mean, ASU is one of those teams that they should dominate every year, right? Like, in theory, ASU should be the best team in the South, if not right behind USC, but I don't know if I can believe it until they actually do it. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's true, Trent. I, uh, I've always looked at Arizona State and say, this is a school that recruits itself. This is a school that people come to uh, just because they want to be there, and so they're always going to have talent level of, you know, very high interest in the conference. And as you said, maybe USC, uh, they're in a different uh, universe as far as who wants to go there. But I, I don't think you ever overlook Arizona State. And I've, I've never seen that, – that was a program when Utah came in. I thought, yeah, that's one team that, yeah, Utah can beat those guys. And they can beat Arizona. And then they got there and they couldn't. Yeah, for whatever reason, there's always a matchup problem or something that, you know, and some people say it's the speed. Some people say it's this or that. But like I said, Utah's so immersed in the Pac-12 now that I don't think those are arguments are valid because Utah has depth and speed just like everybody else. But what about uh, the hiring of Andy Ludwig, uh, bringing him back to the program? Obviously, he was there uh, back in the Mountain West days. But is that an advantage if you're going to replace the offensive coordinator, at least if you're Coach Witt, to bring a guy you're familiar with into the program, Trent, do you think? Yeah, and he's shown that he can have success at various programs in various leagues across the country. So he's an experienced coordinator who's proven that he can have an offense that works. And then, yeah, there's the familiarity, but I feel like more his experience is more encouraging to me. What do you think, Brad? I think it's a pretty big advantage. And the reason I say that is because not every offensive coordinator is is going to be able to work with Coach Witt. And they can bring in guys with their ideas, but, you know, it's Coach Witt and it's a Coach Witt team and it's Coach Witt defense, which is the number one thing. Andy Ludwig knows that coming in. He's well aware of that. And so that's going to eliminate one area right there. I think uh, sometimes coordinators, I don't know about Troy Taylor, but they, they talk the game and they say, yeah, I'm on board and then we're going to do this too. And then they get there and they go, oh, wait, you know, defense really is uh, what drives this team. And it might be a little frustrating, but that won't be a problem with Ludwig because they uh, they knew going in. Um, just to plug, our, our colleague Doug Robinson did a nice feature on Andy Ludwig on DeseretNews.com. I encourage people to read that. It's a good read. And, you know, Andy Ludwig, uh, Bonneville high guy, local guy with the Utes when they uh, have had success before. So I think it's a good, strong hire and it, maybe continuity, if nothing else. be interesting to see if that happens because he knows Coach Witt. 
Coach Witt knows him. And like you said, Brad, uh, defense first with the Utes. But uh, they need some offense. And, you know, a lot of fans will go back to that Pac-12 championship game, 10-3 to loss to Washington. A little more O would have got it, maybe produce some roses around here. Yeah, it, se- it seems a little crazy to me, Dirk. I mean, uh, Trent was talking about the Utah winning the South. And I thought, well, yeah, they could win the Rose Bowl. But that sounds a little crazy. But then you go, they're one touchdown from the Rose Bowl. And they played a horrible game, uh, you know, against Washington. So I think I think that's a possibility. But Andy Ludwig, when he left, I always got the vibe. I didn't talk to Andy. I got the vibe that this, the negativity around surrounding whatever with their offense. People said, we need somebody else. And he got tired of it. And, uh, and you know, and then he was happy to get somewhere else. But uh, but now he's back and, and and he's got optimism going for it. And I think he's going to be more appreciated than he was the first time. Through. Yeah, he put up points and numbers when he was here. You know, it was just he did. everybody wanted more. You know, you know how it goes. Trent, you had the opportunity to talk to the coaches and that about linebackers and that. And obviously Manny Bowen, the Penn State transfer, is kind of the big name that's joined the program and is participating in spring ball. I mean, can you expand a little bit on what you learned about the linebackers? Yeah, it's interesting. I know when Manny Bowen announced he was coming to Utah, fans were extremely excited. And the thought was that this linebacker group would be one of the strengths, if not the strength of the defense. But there's been a lot of kids who left and there's a lot of holes that maybe weren't expected. So yeah, they have Manny Bowen. And I talked to Coach Swan, Colton Swan, the new linebackers coach about him. And he said his experience is bar none. He knows how to be an all-conference linebacker. Like they are thrilled with him. And he already is up to speed almost on everything. And then there's Francis Bernard, who has already proven that he can play at Utah. So their first two linebackers, those first string looks really good, but after them, they have zero playing experience at all. Not even a kind of a little bit, right. which is, it's interesting and it's clearly what they're going to work on throughout camp is figuring out who can back up those two. Well, let's remember that replacing Chase Hansen and Cody Barton, two guys at NFL Combine, they're NFL guys. Yeah. And they put up big numbers last year. So you're right, depth's an issue. You know, losing Donovan Thompson, who entered the transfer portal, was a big blow because yeah. obviously he's a guy, he started a couple games last year, and was a proven guy. Coach Witt said the door's open that he might come back, but they're kind of doubting he will. And He's from Miami, and they think he may end up closer to home. But uh, that's a big blow. Like you said, they have no experience after those first two guys. And, and you know, Bernard uh, was proven to be a little bit fragile, you know, as far as you know, answering the bell every game. But, you know, I know he's encouraged to do so being a senior now. So, I mean, do you, what do you anticipate? Do you think it's going to be Bowen and Francis just getting the lion's share of the time? And I mean, that's the way it worked with Chase and Cody. The only time that Francis even really got into the game was against Colorado when Chase was ejected for targeting. Before that, he only got in spot moments. Right. Most of it is they have that 4-2 front, and it was all Chase and Cody, and I feel like it's going to be similar this year. I think I would expect Francis to be even better because he actually gets to go through full camps as opposed to he came in in fall camp and didn't get to learn. And that was one thing. In a couple years. Yeah. yeah, that was one thing that Swan talked about is there's players who have experience at linebacker. They just don't have experience at Utah. Brad, um, they obviously had some big areas of concern going into spring ball. They're placing three starting offensive linemen, uh, the two linebackers, the two safeties, um, and then the specialists. I mean, just right there. Those are some gigantic holes. And it's interesting that there's a lot of talk about them being the favorites and all that, but what do you think is the biggest area of concern? Is it getting that offensive line solidified? Is it the specialists, the linebackers, safeties? Where do you see as the biggest concern? You know, Dirk, they do have big holes, but I, I don't know teams that don't get big holes. That's uh, that's that's what college football is about. But if it were me, I would say I would say those special teams guys, I would say those kickers, because uh, we've gotten used to watching the best in the country at what they do. And I, I just don't know how they can keep that up uh, uh, 
was it was it Lennon uh, Lennon that's coming in right from yeah, Australia his name and I I you know how yeah, many yeah. guys from Australia are going to come in and do it they have to. I just <laughs> there's a lot of guys there right here <laughs> there's a, hey, too. yeah there's 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 a lot of kickers that come out of there but I I can't imagine them all being as good as as Mitch was asking uh, is and uh, you know and Tom Hackett so I think that you know Witt always talks about flipping the field. And Witt's teams are about managing games. They're not about getting in track meets and running over teams. You know, so I think that really uh, keeping the games managed through their kicking game is so crucial. That's the most important part. Well, I, you know, The third aspect's been real beneficial to Utah over the years, obviously, and having a kicker like Matt Gay, um, that obviously helped. Which I think maybe lost in the shuffle here. Three offensive linemen. That's a big deal. I think that is a bigger deal than we like to think about, too, especially considering how many running backs Utah has and wants to play, but if there's no holes open for them, they can't go anywhere. In the beginning of last year, the offensive line struggled to protect Tyler Huntley, and he got sacked a ton, and the offense couldn't do anything. People like to gloss over that horrible win at Northern Illinois and stuff like that, where they just couldn't do anything on offense. And so, yeah, I think you're right that that offensive line, the holes on that, they're huge because they needed to find somebody who can fill the holes for those seniors who weren't even that dominant to begin with. And Brad, you've been around a while, as as have I, old guys, but do you really learn anything from spring ball? Are they are they just going to come out of spring ball with some answers here or is it really going to go into fall camp? Because obviously there's some uh, signees that won't be here till fall and especially on the offensive line and guys sitting out like Francis Bernard Net, you're not really going to get you're going to get any answers this spring? or The only thing you do is you blend in those guys like Manny Bowen or guys that are coming in from uh, from other programs and, and you get some young guys a chance but uh, I don't think you read too much into it. Uh, spring football is, is experience for people people and working with their timing and so forth. But I don't, uh, you know, uh, the, the people that are going to play have their positions lined up right now and they have to lose those positions through uh, some awful uh, turn of uh, circumstances by not playing well. So um, what we see, I think we pretty much know what we're going to we're going to see next year. And I think that's why there's so much optimism about it is there's, there's talent in that lineup. Train anything else on football? No, I mean, there's just a lot more football to go for spring football, right? Yeah. We'll be there, won't we? <laughs> All right. Hey, let's jump to basketball now. The Utes dropped that game up in snowy Boulder on Saturday. By the way, that was a fun uh, excursion from Boulder back to the airport after the game in the snow. We made it, though. I'm here, which is good. But the Utes are still in third place, tied for third with two games to go, final week of the season. Trent, do you see them getting one of those top four seeds and a bye in the tournament in Las Vegas? I don't know how anybody can confidently predict anything about this basketball team. Good point. (laughs) I just don't know how it's possible because they're going to win one of these games that nobody expects. They're going to lose one of the games that people think. Like, it's just, I don't know. Well, they've been flirting with that 500 mark all season long. You know, they get a couple up or a couple down and they always seem to climb back. Brad, they they love to exceed expectations. You know, they were picked to finish eighth, but here they are again in several years. They always seem to get that buy and Larry thinks thinks it's critical to get that buy this year. Just because of the parity in the league and obviously winning three games as opposed to four, supposedly it's a lot easier. I think it's a plus one, if you ask me. Yeah, I think uh, there's still a chance to make us look smart. They can still, uh, you know, maybe end up eighth. I'm not even sure if they if they lose those last two, and then we then we look good. But uh, no, they they have exceeded their expectations every time. And you know what they did earlier in the year uh, just uh, just kind of really kind of surprised me. I don't think they have terrible talent. I, I think some of these guys. Uh, Booth Gosh and, and and Tim Allen and Timmy Allen and and some of those guys are pretty good. I think what Utah I forgot my favorite guy East High's very oh yes yeah yeah Parker Van Dyke yeah 
But he, okay, yeah, he's Just good. He's been good this year. Yeah, he's been That's good. The UCLA Bruins, how good he is. Yeah, he's 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 had a really good year for himself. So I I, I just think that Utah's program still has to go out, and they have to get a Jakob Pertl again uh, for them to be really something uh, serious. Uh, but but they're building some some nice players to go around a, a premier player. Trent, uh, I'm going to throw a question at you. The games this week, you said they're kind of unpredictable, but uh, USC, I mean, when you control your own destiny and you know if you win your last two games, you have a buy. You're not buying that's enough to get it done this week? It's just, it's hard to say one way or the other. Like, I would want to be able to say that at home they could win, right? Right. But I don't, this year, road teams have been more successful in the Pac-12 than home teams. Right. And, and the Utes were 6-3 and three on the road yeah. in conference play, and they're not going to win six games at home this year in conference play. So. No, and you'd love to look at the games that they played against these teams previously and say you can take something away from them, but there's no way you can take anything away from the UCLA game. That game happens once every 50 years. So I don't know how you can sit there and predict that they're going to win or going to lose. Brad, when they were in L.A., they swept that trip earlier this season of USC. And you say, against USC, they just jumped out to a big lead and held on. And, uh, and not held on, but they stayed in control the whole game. Are they better than USC, or are these teams pretty even? And it just depends who gets off to a good start, maybe. Yeah, I think so. USC is 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 always pretty dangerous with their athleticism. And, and Utah has to has to be able to set the pace. They need to be able to hang on to the lead they get, and I, th- I think just not get it out of hand early. Uh, I don't think they can count on making a comeback uh, if they get behind, even though they're at home. So uh, I, I think they should win both of those games, but like Trent said, uh, should is a is is you know is really kind of out the window the way that it's gone this season. I think they will. I think they're going to win them both. Okay, well, Trent, I'm going to throw the UCLA game back at you. Is there a revenge factor the way that game ended? Do you think the Bruins have circled this and said, "Boy, we can't wait to get to the Utes again"? And I'm sure we're going to shut that Parker Van Dyke kid down if we can. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think there's a question about that. I'm sure they go out of their way to keep Parker Van Dyke from having a great game. And I mean, most of the game they proved themselves better than Utah. It was just the collapse of the end. So I would not be surprised if you. UCLA won. All right. Well, we got Brad with the sweep. And uh, Trent, you're going to go? Will you at least I'll go, go one and split? one. I'll okay. give him USC. All right. Hey, let's talk about, let's say they get the first round by, okay, and go to Las Vegas. Washington's obviously the clear cut favorite. Arizona State's dangerous number two because you never know which Sun Devil team's going to show up. But, you know, they beat Kansas, obviously, this year, and they've won some games. And then right when you want to write them off, they bounce back and get the number two seed in that. But do you guys think there's a chance? that somebody other than Washington or Arizona State can win the tournament. I think ASU has a possibility. I mean, if you, if they can beat Kansas, they can beat Washington. And I, I think... Uh, Anybody else in the mix? Uh, outside the that, teams? Uh, Oregon? Uh, you know, they lost Bull Bowl, which yeah. is a big thing. And then yeah. Oregon State's dangerous because they have a veteran team. Yeah. Um, but uh, do you see, like, and I guess what I'm getting at is, can Utah sneak through and win this tournament? Is there a, can you see any circumstance or scenario where Utah wins the Pac-12 tournament. I think the problem with conference tournaments as opposed to the NCAA tournament is there's too much familiarity between the teams. And so usually the best team wins. You can have an upset here or there, but they've played each other enough that I don't know if Utah can go on a run. What do you think, Rocket? Do you think? I agree with Trent. I don't I, I don't see Utah uh, go, go, get, getting through that tournament. I mean, we don't, we don't know if they got the four, uh, four seed yet. So uh, projecting them to win that tournament after they got there, I don't I don't think so. All right. And then um, as far as being a one-bid league, do you think the Pac-12 sewn up? I kind of think 
think Washington and Arizona State are both going to get in. I wouldn't be surprised if Arizona State is in one of those games in Dayton, Ohio, playing their way in. But I think just, you know, this crazy setup right now, it's amazing that a win, one quality win, like beating Kansas, can get you in the tournament. Because remember, Arizona State got in the tournament last year with a losing Pac-12 record. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, do you see them getting in again just because of that one win, maybe? I would say that if they get in, it's as a first four team. And then if they if they win, I have no idea. But I imagine that's the only way they can get in. What do you think, Brad? Do you think yeah. the Pac-12 is a two-bid league, or do you think it's a one-bid? Uh, my inclination is one-bid, but I think that if Arizona State plays well from here on out and, and gets quite a ways, then they, then they jump in and the Pac-12 gets two. What do you guys think is quite a ways for a team to sneak in like in Arizona State? Is it to get to the semis, or do they have to get to the championship game? I think they need to, to get to the championship game. I don't know if a semi-run in the Pac-12 will do it for them. Yeah, I think so. They're, they're, the Pac-12 hasn't got a great reputation right uh, right now in basketball and saying, uh, you know, uh, we got the semis of the Pac-12 tournament and most of the country is going, hey, that's a, that's a horrible uh, that's a horrible setup they've got right now. So I, I agree. Let me ask you this, guys. If uh, Let's just say, what do you think Utah, I guess, what would they need to do to get even to the NIT? Is that a possibility or do they have to get to the semis or the championship game just to get in the NIT? And do you think they would accept a CBI or a lesser tournament bid? Well, you know, I'm repeating myself there, but they, they got a couple games left. We'll, we'll decide, I think, if they're an NIT team. Yeah, they're 15 wins right now starting the week. Um, obviously, coming out with 17, but then let's say you go to Vegas with 17 wins. Do you need to get to 18, 19 to even be in consideration? I mean, especially considering how weak the league is. What do you think, Trent? Probably in considering who they have and haven't beaten on their schedule. I feel like you, the more wins you can get, even against inferior opponents, the better. 18 if, sounds better than 17, right? It there, does. 18, there's something about that number you go, yeah, that's a that's an okay team. Well, remember back in the day, you know, 20 wins was, yeah. a, was a great seat. That was the milestone. And now yeah. it seems like everybody that's not in the Pac-12 wins 20 games, right? <laughs> but let me just ask, would the Utah, do you guys think Utah would accept anything other than an IT or an NCAA bid? Would they, I mean, some I of these so. With how young their team is, I think so. I think if they're a veteran team, maybe not. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, I think yeah, Chris, Chris Kobiak is, is tough enough. I think he kind of wants to do that. And I, I think coaches are kind of like football coaches where they say a bowl game is a, it's a practice for the next year, right. no matter how low the bowl game is. And I think they kind of think, uh, the more I can work with this team, the better I am off for next year. Well, you know, with Timmy Allen and Booth Gotch and Riley Batten, you know, those are some guys that really come of age this year and give should give Utah fans some optimism about the future. And obviously, the more games they can play, better off well, the likely be. Talking about basketball, um, NCAA tournament, first and second rounds, coming to Vivint Smart Home Arena. And I had a chance to catch up with Steve Pine of the University of Utah. And he's the tournament director and head of facilities and management up at the athletic department. And he's our special guest on Utah by Five this week. I'm Tom Barberi, and it's time for Utah by Five, where we catch up with the people who built the program we love. We're joined on our Utah by Five segment by Steve Pine, Director of Events and Facility Management at the U, and also the Tournament Director for the NCAA Tournament coming up downtown. How hard is it to get the NCAA Tournament these days? I, I know it's very competitive, and we're lucky to have it in this community, aren't we? Yes, we're very fortunate. It um, It's difficult now. There's a lot of venues across the West that are bidding for this. It's a four-year out cycle for the bid. We bid for this uh, series two years ago, actually, for this one the bid cycle 19 through 22. And I think the main reason why we received it so quickly because we hosted in 2017 here as well, but in 19 marks the 40th anniversary of the bird magic game here in Salt Lake City. And therefore I thought that the NCAA felt as though 
reward us for an event that uh, is basically probably one of the best uh, Final Fours in the NCAA tournament. Right. But do you anticipate then that it might be four years before we get it again because of the fact that you got it so soon? Yeah, I would think uh, the bid cycle will come out in 2020 for years of 23 through 27. We'll put in a bid, obviously, for every year, 23 through 27 for those, and in hopes that maybe we get two of them, maybe 23 and 27. But um, with the amount of schools bidding for it, it, it is becoming more and more difficult in the arena. You know, and, and it, the Bay Area, they build a new arena for the Warriors. And those type of venues are, are always bidding for them. Well, we talked earlier, you said that, that uh, Vivint Arena, obviously the renovation's there. Mm-hmm. It kind of changes how the tournament will be uh, conducted, isn't it? Yeah. Um, they reduced a few seats, but uh, that's okay with us, too. This year, in 2019, we've been sold out for a couple months now. Awesome. Uh, the NCAA will release some of those seats as it gets closer to the dates. Uh, we host uh, March 21st and 23rd down at Vivint. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, really nice back-of-house stuff, locker room improvement, um, and the facilities there. So well, I know you work really hard when these things come to town. Uh-huh. You probably never sleep in your own bed that week. Uh, you just talk about what goes into this. I mean, it takes a ton of people. It takes a village to host the NCAA tournament, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it, it does. It's a lot of hours. I think um, we, we've obviously just haven't started on it. It's been an 18-month project. It's pretty much about a part-time job from uh, August to uh, the date March. So, and we got a lot of volunteers. Michael Agerschultz is our media coordinator, and he he uh, needs a lot of volunteers for his area. But yeah, a lot of staff members, a lot of volunteers, and it is a great event. We have a lot of fun. It's a labor of love, though, isn't it? Labor of love. No march, no sleep march is what we say. Uh, the madness starts obviously a lot earlier, but uh, that week is definitely March Madness for us. Okay, here's a question. Do you guys find out who's coming here when everybody else finds out when they release it on TV? Or do you get a little insight just before? No insight whatsoever. We're as excited as everybody on the edge of our chair seeing who we're going to get. Once the selection shows there, that's when we see it, and then we start getting calls. And then when do you start setting the arena up? Uh, is that a week-long process to get everything ready? Or? Um, we're fortunate this year. Uh, the Jazz is on the road, and so we'll start all our setup on Sunday, the 17th, the day of the selection show. We'll bring in a floor. We'll bring in a scorer's table. The NCAA has their own scorer's table, their own floor, um, and that will all be set up on Sunday. And then Monday will be our event management day to set up and then tuesday morning tv rolls in and wednesday's practices and the madness starts on thursday now you've got last thing you've had quite a history uh, <laughs> talked about uh, emptying garbage cans in the final four in 1979 yeah. to tournament director tell me how you go from uh, <laughs> from the basement to the penthouse oh well, a lot of longevity there this will be my 17th tournament in salt lake city that i've been a part of 14 as a tournament director manager and so very exciting times for us and the university. It is, uh, I think, a citywide event that uh, really uh, t- comes out and supports it and really enjoys it. Thus, the reason why I think we get it about every three to four years. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
All right, it was good to catch up with Steve Pine. He's a good man. He's uh, been around the NCAA tournament a long time, and ironically, as you know, as he mentioned, he was emptying garbage cans at the 1979 Final Four when it was up at the Huntsman Center, and now he's in charge of the tournament. So he's seen both sides of this thing. He's uh, I teased him from the basement to the penthouse. He's covered it all. So it was good to catch up with him. Guys, our final word, um, Eric Weddle, long-time mute, was, uh, was cut by the uh, Baltimore Ravens this week. Uh, I think he's, what, 34 years old? I think he's 33. Is he going to catch on? Is he done? From the way he responded on Twitter, I think he's not done. I think he hopes to get on another team. Well, he was all pro this past season, if I remember right. And he has been all three years he was in Baltimore. Brad, we've known him for a long time. It's hard to believe he's still playing. But he's still got some gas in the tank. Yeah, I I think that most guys have a lot of pride. uh, And most guys kind of know when they don't have it. But he's got enough game. I think it would be very hard for him to walk away. And I've seen some teams, names that, uh, that could use him. And, and he started 48 straight games with, with Baltimore. He started 170 of his last 176 games. So to me, that would be really rough to say, I'm still a starter in yeah. the NFL and I'm I'm out. Well, and it's interesting and you think about it, it's obviously because of his age, right? I mean, he's getting the game done, but he probably makes too much money. He's too old. Those are two nasty things. Yeah, I'd so say the money probably is the biggest deal in the NFL. Yeah. I heard they don't have very much. Yeah, something like they that. They try. <laughs> hey, uh, let's just go is anything uh, the Red Rocks are off this week? Um, they are off this week. They uh, just came off their best meet of the season. They got the highest score of any team in the country in beating Michigan. Um, and they just signed a girl who's one of the top recruits in the country, too. So things are looking up. Brad, uh, baseball, believe it or not. Uh, Niagara is in town this week to play the Utes in baseball. <laughs> that should be get your tickets now. That should be fun. If the snow stays away, maybe they'll get some baseball in. But it's almost here, isn't it? The right of spring. Yeah, baseball. And, Dirk, we remember uh, covering baseball games in the in a trailer. Do you remember the trailer back uh, in the day that we would have? And you look out the little window along the side. So whatever whatever they experience is not going to be what we used to see. Oh, well, there's softball, and then the the skiing. The NCAA championships are coming up. So busy week uh, for Utes, Utah women basketball, women's basketball team, obviously in Las Vegas. Have they done enough, Trent, to, to earn an NCAA bid, or do they need to win some games in Las Vegas? I think losing their last two games of the year, I think they have to win a game or two in the tournament to make it to the NCAAs. What do you think, Brad? Can you get in, you know, in their defense, injuries have uh, taken a toll. Oh, yeah. I think they're down to seven players. I know the NCAA men's committee sometimes looks at, you know, when teams, you know, how the, how well they're stocked at the end of the season. I don't know if that's the same for the women, but, you know, we'll find out. But, Brad, do you think they've done enough? Uh, Lynn Roberts the other day said she thought they'd done enough, but she wanted to get a few more wins to get safely in the harbor, and they didn't get them this week. Yeah, yeah I think she'd have to win one at least in the tournament, but I think they're going to look pretty kindly on that start and who they beat. They beat some Big Ten teams. Uh, they played really well, and I could see the committee looking and saying this team needs to be rewarded for what was a really good first few months of the season. All right. Well, guys, thanks for joining us. I appreciate having Trent and Brad here. And, folks, we appreciate you listening. Just a reminder, you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever fine podcasts like this are found. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you later. <laughs>